0: The Gist is brought to you by JibJab.com. With a JibJab e card, you can send a hilarious personalized Christmas greeting to your friends and family. Choose hundreds of animated e cards from merry to edgy. They're fun and easy to create from any device. Create your own personalized holiday card in seconds at JibJab.com and get a discount with the promo code XX. The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: It's Friday, December 5th, 2014. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Well, I am Mike Pesca, but today, I am a vertically integrated digital media company. I'm not. But the New Republic is, or the New Republic wants to be. The New Republic just celebrated its 100th anniversary, sort of the way the SS Mont Blanc celebrated its entry into Halifax Harbor in 1919, by exploding... Every good editor and writer is gone after its 31-year-old, widely and dismissively described as 30-year-old, but its 31-year-old owner told the influential but never widely circulated periodical that they were no longer a magazine. They were a vertically integrated digital media company, which would mean a website But also the cable company that sells the web and maybe the company that laid the wire in the ground. Like vertical integration means something. A vertically integrated digital media company, that's not what the guy wanted to be. The the, the New Republic's a magazine, a good magazine that has some blogs. And this guy wanted to make it a little more bloggy. It's not vertical integration. It's just being a little more bloggy. Anyway, the New Republic's owner, the very presence of whom demonstrates that neither word in the phrase new republic actually applies to the new republic anyway this guy facebook billionaire former roommate of mark zuckerberg and not the former roommate who wound up playing spider-man i know because i looked it up this guy hires some other guy and that guy's named guy guy vidra to tell the new republic that they need to become a vertically integrated digital media company i know why he said that it's because vox is valued at 380 million dollars because BuzzFeed is valued at $850 million, and because the Washington Post sold for only $250 million, which would basically be the worth of the printing presses and Tom Schell's file cabinets if you melted them down for scrap. Like the New Republic, though, I wasn't born yesterday. Unlike the New Republic, I wasn't born in Theodore Roosevelt's living room. Uh, the New Republic... The strategy for attacking San Juan Hill. Kermit Roosevelt. Things born in Theodore Roosevelt's living room. Ding, 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 ding. So I get why the Facebook rich kid wanted to make the New Republic profitable. It's just that the thing that made the New... It's just that the thing that made the New Republic valuable, where it's dozens of talented people who worked at the New Republic, and they're all gone. So anyway, now the brand is worthless. In other journalism news, Rolling Stone no longer stands by its UVA rape article. So what did happen? We don't know. They won't say. Was Jackie raped? Maybe. Who knows? Could knows. Could be a cover-up. Could have been. That's all we know. Can Rolling Stone confirm that there is a college called the University of Virginia? Don't know. Haven't nailed down that fact yet. Does the UVA have a pool? I don't know. Can't really say. Are the letters Phi, Kappa, or Psi part of the Greek alphabet? Only time will tell. Vox helpfully ran a story about Rolling Stone, about the retraction in Rolling Stone. The Vox story was called One Sentence That Explains What Went Wrong in Rolling Stone's Rape Story. And it highlighted, literally in yellow, it highlighted the one sentence. Guys, the entire Rolling Stone retraction was 10 sentences, right? The one thing we don't need about this retraction that raised so many more questions than it answers. We don't need the cliff notes. Yeah, but Vox knew you were searching for Rolling Stone on Twitter, and it shrunk the amount of time it would take to read that retraction by 90%. Voila! company valued at $380 million. On the show today, it's an antan twig, a belated antan twig. I will also award a lop star. Plus, Harry Shearer and his wife, Judith Owen, sing Christmas carols. But first, journalist Clarence Page. He's a culture warrior. Not a culture warrior. The first essay In the new collection, Culture Warrior, Reflections on Race, Politics, and Social Change by Clarence Page, the first essay, the first column, was about 9-11. The second column in this collection is about the suicide of Soul Train host Don Cornelius. And the third is about Thurgood Marshall. And they all work. Why? The through line is, I think, humanity. Clarence Page is knowledgeable, reasonable, and nice, which makes you wonder, how does this guy have a job in opinion journalism? (laughs) In fact, he won the 1989 Pulitzer Prize, has been writing for the Chicago Tribune, and is syndicated throughout America. Hello, Clarence.
2: Hi, thank you very much, Mike, for that lovely introduction.
1: Absolutely. You've been a journalist since 69 and on the editorial board since 1984, and in that time, the explosion of media and outlets has mostly been for the good. But I also do think that you must have noticed that fewer people are actually trying to persuade fewer opinion writers. Now it's just about red meat for the base.
2: Well, you know, uh, that's exactly right. That's the fragmentation of audience that we're seeing these days. I mean, my slogan is, you know, when people ask, you know, are you liberal, conservative? I say, well, I consider myself to be center-left, but I'll surprise you sometimes. Folks used to think that was charming, but now I I find a number of emailers will be actually offended if I defy their expectations.
1: Now it's apostasy.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, And uh, I'm talking about, too, uh, people who, let's say, somebody who's a hardcore conservative who expects me to be a hardcore liberal, and I'm not. Well, how dare I? Who am I trying to fool out there?
1: Yeah. So in in the book, there's a passage, there's a column essentially saying, give Biden a break, about Obama being clean, give O'Reilly a break about the behavior of patrons of Sylvia's restaurant, give Jesse Jackson a break, give the RNC chair candidate who wrote a song called Barack the Magic Negro a break. You're giving all these people a break. That doesn't drive track. That doesn't That yeah, Even Rush Limbaugh, that doesn't drive traffic, don't your editors say? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, if you jump into controversy, <laughs> uh, that alone will drive traffic. And uh, no, the Rush Limbaugh example was uh, hilarious because he actually went, went on the air and bragged about the fact that I defended him in the Barack the Magic Negro episode. Uh, but the, uh, the fact is that uh, that satirical song, number one, is what the first amendment was all about political speech uh, and and comment
1: although you realize i know you realize that limbaugh was using you in the way bill o'reilly was using juan williams saying hey look a prominent black mostly liberal agrees with me like using you as a shield
2: <laughs> well let's say on the bright side anytime i can point out that there is a diversity of views in the black community uh, that that helps to defy stereotypes because uh, uh, frankly, I think we need to uh, get over ourselves in terms of just talking to ourselves uh, about race. We need to get outside of uh, the, the particular communities
1: that we live in. Do you think race relations are getting worse in recent years, as polls have shown?
2: Uh, no, I like what Chris Rock said that <laughs> that uh, there's no such thing as race relations. It's just uh, we had some some uh, crazy white people who aren't so crazy anymore. <laughs> Well, uh, but he said, talking about racial relations is like talking about marital relations between Ike and Tina Turner. Uh, you know, uh, uh, it wasn't that Tina was doing anything wrong. It was Ike uh, stopped beating her, uh, as much as he did say. You know, and yeah. you don't say that their relations are better. You say Ike is behaving better. Yeah. So I think I think there's something to that. At the same time, I'm not going to going to put all the onus on on white America, but I, I think that uh, on on the whole. Uh, I would be lying if I said race relations haven't gotten better. Uh, Obama, in fact, in recent interviews, said that uh, racial relations improve in fits and starts. You know, you you have a, a surge forward, and you get a push back. It's a bumpy road. But if you look at, at it over the long haul, of course, things are getting better. And for, for that matter, as much as I hear cynical conservatives talk about, we don't need a, a conversation on race because all all we're going to do is get lectured to by by blacks. Uh, the fact is, we have that conversation every time one of these crises, like Ferguson, emerge.
1: I was also, I was also thinking when the I and Tina Turner. I was thinking the analogy maybe could be environmental relations between a factory and a river. The river ain't doing anything different. The river ain't doing anything wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I read so much about how. White and black opinions are different. White and black perceptions of reality are different. White people think that black people make more money than they do. White people think that black people live just as long as white people. That's not true. And then if you talk about like, police brutality, white people don't think it's an issue. Black people do. How important, if the goal is the advancement of all the races, but of course the advancement of African-Americans, how important to that is the opinion of white America?
2: Well, it's important because uh, white Americans still are the the largest group, uh, although others are are rising at a faster rate. Uh, We're talking decades from now. Uh, But we're not going to be post-racial until we learn to deal with racism. And still, the word itself is so problematic because different people uh, tend to define it in different ways. Uh, Black folks tend to define racism one way, uh, no, as no, in, an institutional form of prejudice that disadvantages non-whites, uh, white folks tend to think of racism as prejudice. Just, you know, uh, anybody can be racist because anybody can be prejudiced. Uh, and these are two legitimate definitions, but they're very different in the sense of the argument that they make. And until we can do something as simple as agreeing on how to define racism, we're going to
1: constantly have very
2: different views of the
1: world. I just think that even if white America gets with the program and gets with reality, that will move the needle a little bit. But that's not the key. I think the key is economic opportunity, quite frankly.
2: Yes. Yes, it is. And I find that to be true all over the country. People say this, white and black, et cetera. The the longer you have a discussion about race, it eventually comes to, well, isn't it really all about class? Uh, even David Brooks wrote about this just a day or so ago, uh, as if this was new news or <laughs> a new argument. But yeah, I think uh, Americans, uh... when they really get down to it rationally, they say t- today more and more it's less about race and more about class. It just so happens that the. Um, question of class is so colorized. When we think of poverty, we think of blacks or Hispanics in the city or in a barrio. Or we, uh, when we think about uh, upper income, we think about uh, white corporate folks on Wall Street. Americans have always been a bit confused about class and self-conscious about it. We seldom have honest discussions about it because you can be accused of class warfare uh, you can be uh, accused of being socialistic or un-american etc or we can be just very defensive about what class we really are and that sort of thing Uh, but uh, race is still such a strong emotional factor uh, in politics that uh, we we still got to deal with it or it's going to deal with us
1: Clarence Page writes, in response to all the culture warriors I have known and covered, I'm a culture warrior. I worry about those who claim more cultural supremacy than they deserve to claim. And that's why the name of the new collection is Culture Warrior Reflections on Race, Politics, and Social Change. Clarence Page, thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Mike.
1: The holidays are supposed to be a time of, quote, peace on earth and goodwill towards man. But do you know what else, besides peace on Earth, they're engendering? They're engendering hell on Earth. Not in the form of nutmeg or chestnuts or Kris Kringle, but holiday cards. Think about all the time you spend filling out holiday cards. What a special torture it is. So therefore, I give you jib-jab cards. What are jib-jab cards? we were using it today. You put a picture of yourself up, and you throw it inside this card on the internet and it plays a song and it's you singing or your friends singing. Listen, your mom will like it. That's the important thing about Jab cards. Your kids will like it, your mom will like it, and it saves a lot of money. So we have a special promo and we're doing it in conjunction with our friends at the Double X Gab Fest. So we're going to use their promo code, but it'll help both of us. And the discount code is XX. Just those two letters, XX. You go to JibJab.com You enter the promo code XX. You get a special deal on these JibJab e-card Cards that so many people will like that you'll have more fun making than you will signing your regular holiday cards. And the hell that is the holidays will be ameliorated for but a few moments. Christmas is a time to say I love you. Share the joys of laughter and good cheer. Or so Billy Squire told us on the B-side of My kind of lover. All right, that calls everything into question, even the joy of the holiday season. Well, what Judith Owen and Harry Scherer have done is acknowledged the questions about the joy of the holiday season, and they've charged straight ahead. They've done a cover of Christmas with the Devil from Spinal Tap that you can find online, and it's part of a series of holiday sing-alongs that are happening this month in the Cutting Room in New York and Largo in L.A., and all places find comedy and singing are sold. Hello, Judith and Harry. How are you? Oh, hi.
0: Hi, Mike. We, by the way, the, the, the official name of the show this year is Christmas Without Tears.
1: Christmas Without Tears. Is that a riff on handwriting without tears?
0: I think it's a riff on handwriting without, uh, for dummies. Yeah, and, then,
1: and of course it's and pr-
3: right,
0: handwriting without dummies.
3: But the subtitle for it is, does this tree make me look fat? So let's just get that in and get that right right now.
1: Where do you stand on the uh, societal debate, and I put that in quotes. I'm going to also put societal in quotes because it's mainly <laughs> a Fox News thing. Debate and, and, and put quotes in quotes. You know, <laughs> <here>. put quotes <laughs> in quotes <laughs> and inverted commas yeah. for you, Judith. Thank you. Yes. Yes. The war on Christmas. I mean, this is a scourge, right, Harry?
0: I think it's second only to the war on Groundhog Day.
1: Yeah, the war on,
3: the war Christmas. on Christmas. Oh, good. Grief. Well,
0: you know, it's a it's basically a blowback against multiculturalism. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I think the thing that really set set it off was uh, when Kwanzaa started being celebrated big time. <laughs>
1: Yes, I know. You when know Kwanzaa light. descends on you. I mean, my God, Kwanzaa starts on Arbor Day these, these <laughs> and years. The, and, yeah. the,
0: and the lighting of the Kwanzaa thing in Rockefeller thing.
3: Center. I, I have to say, I, I just it's, this makes me despair. I'll give you an example of one of the first times that we did this, this show was at Walt Disney Concert Hall. And before then, we'd always been doing it in our house. We did it because I get very depressed every Christmas because it's a terrible time of the year for most of us. I mean, it's joyful and it's appalling because the stress and the sadness and people who aren't there and the money. And being lonely, and homesick, and I was away from home, and I had depression. So, and then, and I find out I'm married to somebody who's Jewish. So the whole thing (laughs) looked pretty bad to me when we first started. And we, so we started having this, this, this party in our house, and we amazing musicians and comedians would come over, and we'd have a great time, and then we'd all sing together. Because as somebody who's brought up in a very Welsh household, that's what you you did—you sang—and it feels great when we went for the first time to do this in Walt Disney Concert Hall, uh, 2005. We were invited because they'd heard about it. and they let us do everything we wanted, bring move, the set, move, bring move our the, furniture. Move our living
0: room furniture and our dog the into The dog, have it. mulled
3: wine. Rob Long, who was, was a, a, a co-creator of this whole thing, would cook Madeleines. We'd, yeah. It was a feast for the eye. And then when I brought up in the meeting, and then we'll have the tree, and it was, and they went, oh, 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 oh. Now, you see, we drew the line at the tree.
1: The tree. I tree. Excuse me?
3: What if you throw a manure in there, too? At no, a no, no, thing. I, and I, to which I said, the tree is the most pagan symbol there is. It is absolutely the pagan symbol of Christmas. It has nothing to do with Christmas. It's German. German. So, um, what, what are we talking about? It's like we're singing songs that have Christ, 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 the Lord, 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 baby Jesus in You're it.
0: billing it as a Christmas it's
3: show. It's called Christmas show, but the tree's no good. Anyway, so I, I fill the tree with menorahs and, and Hindu <laughs> icons and beautiful things and Buddhist, wands Buddhist and stuff. Symbols. And, yeah. and, 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 and a patch,
1: just shaved a patch for the atheists. Yeah. Just no tree and at all. And this yeah. is
3: what I'm talking about. It's like, I am not a religious person. Of course, I was brought up as Christian. My husband is Jewish. Honest to goodness, to me, this is a tradition, like Thanksgiving is a tradition. This is a great moment and time where people get to really celebrate things, but we've all lost track of how to do it, what it's about, the season.
0: One of the songs I do in the show is is not uh, an original by either of us, but uh, by this wonderful songwriter, uh, Jill Sobiel, and it, it expresses our feeling about Multicultural nature of the of a wintertime festival like this. It's called Jesus was a dreidel spinner.
3: It's a real tearjerker. Yeah.
0: Jesus was a dreidel spinner. And this we can't forget. Paul was Saul before it was Paul. And the Last Supper was same.
3: Then you realize that the greatest Christmas songs ever written in the America, Great American Songbook—you know, the Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, the Christmas Song, Winter Wonderland—it goes on and on. These Santa are Claus, all Santa, Santa Claus. Is. These yeah. are all written by Jews. Yeah, of course. And we get our heads Irving around these people? Was thank you. For most of, yeah. And
1: Easter Parade. Yeah, yeah. thank yeah. you.
0: And Mel Torme wrote the Christmas. You show.
3: know, <laughs> so let's just handle this in the way that we should, which is let's celebrate the great things that have been created it's like you know the reason why people to me visit cathedrals and great churches is because this is an incredible
1: triumph of humanity and the reason they read the bible because it's one of the greatest pieces of literature it's one of the greatest
3: pieces of literature ever written and that's it my friend and that's exactly it and oh, a, and a great you know god
0: said it i believe it that settles it <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> he did say it 2400 you know,
3: like, <laughs> so we you know we find ourselves Dressed in leather, and the angels are in chains. The sugar plums are rats, and the stockings are in flames. There's a demon in my bed, and a gremlin in my brain. There's someone up the chimney hole, and Satan is his name. And it is Christmas with the devil. Christmas with the devil.
1: I want to ask you about Another famous project, Spinal Tap. Yes. I always thought, I will say this, that it wasn't in the original movie, but um, The Majesty of Rock is one of the greatest songs I've ever heard. It's the darning of a sock. It's the scoring of a gold. These are great lyrics. Yes.
0: And have you ever seen the video?
1: I don't know if I've seen the video. Oh, it's
0: it's worth seeing. You know, we were doing that record. The record was uh, Break Like the Wind. Break Like the Wind. And we were told, you know, you got to make a video uh, because MTV is really hot on this Mm -hmm. idea and they really want to support the band and support the tour. And uh,
1: It's a different MTV.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, uh, not really. We we spent. This is a podcast, right? We can yeah, swear. Yeah, go for it. We spent a shitload of money yeah. on this a pilot, on this video. This was the second one we made. The first one was Bitch School, which <laughs> M- MTV rejected because they thought it was sexist. And we went, "Excuse me, did you say the line? What? What's wrong with being sexy?
3: Of course we did. Of course you did. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's like you're being my straight man. Yeah. I'm
3: yeah. not going to release the album because they have decided that the cover is.
0: Sexist. Well so why yes. But what's wrong with being sexy? I mean there's no
3: sex with sex. Is. Is. When I first met Harry um, back in the 90s, um, he was uh, Spinal Tap. It's Spinal Tap that brought us together, and, and they were playing the role of Albert Hall. And I remember Harry uh, uh, lugging on a strap-on uh, Devil's Tail, giant tail, bringing on. I just thought, that's fantastic.
0: Well, it was, it was attached to me. I was lugging yeah. it with my ass muscles. <laughs> and a and, uh, great story about that was I, I went off stage to have it attached and they're kneeling in the wings, in the, in, the, in, the dark, in the semi-darkness of the wings, watching our Royal Albert Hall show, just sort of on his haunches, like not in a seat in the, in the, in the room, giving me the thumbs up as I rushed off to get my tail attached was George Harrison. Really? Yeah. Mm. So that was amazing. pretty cool.
1: That's where he hangs out. Da- in the Wings. the Wings. And, and Danny was there too. You'd think was Paul, Har- well.
0: Paul, Paul McCartney would have been in the Wings, but that was, <laughs> no.
1: That was <laughs> no, that no he, was on, that he was, was on the run. Yeah. That was the first <laughs>
3: sighting of it. And actually the first thing that we ever collaborated on was on uh, Christmas with the Devil. Because we were asked to do a charity show at the Troubadour, I think, in L.A. for, yeah. s- for Christmas in July. So we thought, you know what? I just love that so much. So we so we, we we turned up the jazz.
1: You met over Christmas.
3: Christmas brought you together. Well, tap brought us together. Christmas tap end. is everything turns into tap. We actually If you're admit- a musician, everything is tap. By the way, it is that shit. Christmas with the devil is 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 kind of our signature uh, duet that we do uh, every single year. In fact, in fact, it's it's released as a single as part of an EP this year, where you can see Harry rolling his eyes at me and me <laughs> looking really off. Can I say that? Yes, it's got an E oh, in it. Yeah, sure. e, it's got an E in it. Uh, it's how the Irish say it. So you can see you can see our relationship.
1: Clearly. In a nutshell. Which in a nutshell. Where it, where, it we, where it belongs. Judith O. and Harry Shearer are the impresarios behind Christmas Without Tears. It'll be at The Cutting Room in New York. It'll be at Largo in L.A. and other locations. Great, Thank you, you so much. Thank you
3: so much for the opportunity. That's it, are the presents and the ranger ran away. You know, Father Christmas, cause it's evil's holiday, so Come on, you faithful, don't be left out in the cold You don't need no invitation, your ticket is your soul And
1: it is
3: Christmas with the devil
1: And now the spiel, the Antan Twig It's a period of three weeks, 50% more than a fortnight But a little less than one-seventeenth of an annum That the English word for 21 somewhat is like antan twig, gives it its name. And that's why we, every 21 days, take an accounting of what went on in the gist, except when we don't. Like now, the day after Thanksgiving, that was when the antan twig was meant to fall. And it did fall, but it went unobserved, because I was a bit unsure about what to do. Do I delay the Antan twig and then restart from zero. If I do an an Antan twig today, that'll be four weeks of corrections, addenda and amplifications. And that is in fact what I decided to do. So this, we're gonna call it an an Antan twig. We know it hasn't been 21 days, but a month has passed since the last one. We know this. It also means that the next Antan twig will actually be in a fortnight. Will I have enough material, enough mistakes to correct? I think history suggests yes. For instance, I took aim at this song and to air supply grammar in general. Here I am, the one that you love. And I said, no. It should be here I am the one who you love. Cuz that who, I'm not a big grammarian, but that who that thing it just gets me every time. Like I saw an ad on the bottom of a web page. That's where the worst ads lurk by the way. You know, the remainder's bin for ads. The buy one get one free, but you're already in the dark corner of a 99 cent store, those quality ads. And it was go to juicy celeb child stars that grow up ugly. Couple things. Mara Wilson did not grow up ugly. And Angus Jones from Two and a Half Men was never a cute child star. But the big thing is, it's not child stars that grew up ugly, it's child stars who grew up ugly. Or in the case of Mara Wilson, didn't. And Air Supply is, here I am, the one who you love. No, it's not. As pointed out by Bad Kissinger on Twitter, Mike, 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 if the Air Supply title were grammatically correct, it would be the one whom you love. You're better than that. Well, at least half of that statement is true. Yeah, so I make misstatements. Like I said, the St. Louis Browns, yeah, up until 1953 they were. It should have been the St. Louis Rams. But then the St. Louis Browns became the Baltimore Orioles, and guess what? I made a Baltimore Oriole related misstatement. I was talking about Earl Warren, the former Supreme Court justice. And I said, "Oh, you know, that guy has a Baltimore accent. No, he doesn't. He was the governor of California. This comes up all the time. Whenever they talk about presidential appointments to the Supreme Court, why always do a judge? They say, how about a governor like Earl Warren? I said, Earl Warren's from California. I said he was from Baltimore. Why? I know why. I was thinking of Earl Weaver, right? And Earl Weaver would have been a He's the former manager of the Orioles, he would have been a terrible Supreme Court justice. He would have totally ruled incorrectly in the case of Boog Powell versus Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas. All right, other mistakes. Heptathlon has seven events. WKRP wasn't Cincinnati, wasn't an FM station, it was an AM station. A balaclava isn't an instrument. It is, of course, a sweet Mediterranean phylo-filled dessert. What? Oh no, it's not that either. It's a hat. A balaclava is a hat. The silver lining is, when I said I was wrong about the definition, I believe I claimed, and we could check the tape, I believed I claimed, I'll eat my baklava. So, all right, pistachio-filled dessert, please. I may have misstated that the New Zealand dollar was worth however much it was worth in conversion rate. It doesn't matter. I should have just been given credit for even talking about the New Zealand dollar. See, that's an important part of starting a conversation. Can I, I want to get away with this. I love this. It's Like, you know, I'm just starting a conversation. Like, when I called in my recipe for four pounds of sugar instead of four ounces of confectioner's sugar, I was just starting a conversation. And when I said that Sofia Riga was a Romanian pop star, what I really meant to say was that nonstop flights from Bulgaria to Latvia, their capitals, you know what? No, I wasn't me- meaning to say that. I was just starting a conversation. And when I said that Bing Crosby has been accused of rape, not a mistake, just Starting a conversation. All right, let's end that conversation and go on to the awarding of the Lopstar. For this, the Lopstar goes to Jess Kate Scalatro. She writes, Apropos of the Olympic mascot conversation that I had with Seth Stevenson, I present the following. As I entered my daughter's daycare classroom last night, I wondered from afar what the blue plush inverted triangle in her arms might be. At ten paces, the tail, complete with rings, captured my attention, changing the question, what is it, to an answer. What is it? Yes, yes, yes. I totally remember what is it. What is it was the Olympic mascot from the 1996 Atlanta games. It was meant to be a shapeshifter, but it wound up being kind of a nothing because it tried to be everything, right? It was a trying too hard Olympic failure, like the Lolo Jones of its era. Jess goes on to write that this Izzy doll, that's what they call the what is it, is leading a life of simple leisure. Izzy finds comfort that here he has almost been forgotten, here in the daycare, in the Atlanta area daycare. I assume Atlanta area daycare. So I want to thank you, Jess, in the most profound and pronounced way I could know. Thank you for including that picture of Izzy What Is It. Seems to be in pristine form. As you noted, he's not a goblin, but he was almost forgotten until you remembered him, and therefore I've remembered to name you the lopstar of this Antan twig. And that's it for today's show. When just producer Andrea Salenzi fills the meat cup and drains the barrel, she's either singing Deck the Halls or performing skateboarding tricks. Joel Meyer, managing producer of Slate Podcasts, always gets a little flushed and mumbly during The Rise, The Woman's Conquering Seed part of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Andy Bowers is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. How are thy leaves so verdant, Andy Bowers? You can subscribe in iTunes. Pa, rum pum, pum, pum. or listen to us in the Stitcher app pa, rum, pum, pum, pum. we're on facebook.com/slategist or on Yo! rum pum pum pum, pum. rum pum, pum, pum. go to Yo and subscribe to podcast rum. then subscribe to podcast Rum-pum-pum-pum. Or email the gist at slate.com. Rum-pum-pum-pum. Rum-pum-pum-pum. Rum-pum-pum. All right, stop that. The Gist would like to issue a correction. We trusted Mommy's words. We vetted Mommy's story. We interviewed friends of Mommy's who said they witnessed her kissing Santa Claus. But discrepancies have arisen in Mommy's account. And adamant denials from the North Pole cannot be ignored. We no longer stand by our account of Mommy kissing Santa Claus. We regret the error.